0: Welcome to our last day on this retreat. Quite often, when it's the last day on retreat for me, I already see the mind become a little more active in planning. Like, oh, Wednesday. What will I be doing on Wednesday at this time of day? Whatever time zone you're in. And then this practice can be such a support when we pause to really come back into, un, into the unfolding of the present moment. Planning can be known. And then also seeing how that experience is impermanent. And so really on this last day we wanna invite to really stay as dedicated and diligently as possible. Because on the last day, what often happens is that there's quite a bit of momentum of awareness that's kind of been built. And it can be very fruitful to keep resting in that. And so in today's session, I wanna talk about, you could say like the guiding power of wise intentions. I wanna reflect with you on how wise intentions can support us in practice, but also a little bit with the idea of the next retreat that'll start. That I think Joseph sometimes calls it the retreat of life. Like how can we use also these wise intentions that the Buddha taught in the midst of our lives? I want to start with just a settling, a guided meditation, for about a half hour. And so, see if you can assume a body posture where you find a middle way in this moment between being alert and being relaxed. You can close your eyes or have them open in a relaxed gaze. Pause for a moment and see if you can really find body posture in which you can kind of rest in. Is it helpful to maybe move your shoulders? few times, backwards. Just really allow the arms to be heavy. And if you're seated, maybe lengthen the spine a little bit. It's sitting a little more upright than you would usually do in the beginning, and then tucking the chin in just a little. Inviting a soft belly, really preparing yourself. for awareness, kindness to be cultivated. Taking your seat under the Bodhi tree invite you to see if you can connect with an intention that you like to set for this next half hour or so, or maybe for this whole day. Listening deeply if there is an aspiration coming to mind or an image or maybe nothing right now. It could be a phrase from your compassion or metta practice. Taking a moment to just allow that intention to dissolve. to notice what experience in this moment is it easy to come home to. It could be the body. and naming that experience with this framework, there's a body. or establishing mindfulness a little more specifically, feeling the body breathe, and know you're feeling it. Know you can name that experience in, out, rising or falling of the belly. Is there awareness? What's the quality of awareness? What's being known? What can be known right now? The state of the heart, the state of mind. Can you receive, allow this state of mind, the heart? Maybe with a soft voice saying, Welcome. What's it like to know you're mindful? There is mindfulness. This ability of mind to know what's happening right now. And the sounds the thoughts, the feelings, emotions, bodily sensations. be a resting space, this knowing. You gently receive the sensations with as much care and curiosity and kindness as possible. No way, you can always start again. What's happening right now? Maybe one of the hindrances is present of sleepiness, worry, doubt. Maybe there's concentration, kindness, joy. Is it helpful in this moment to attune to the changing nature of experience? The changingness of sounds might be coming in from my end of water dripping changingness of thoughts, of feelings. Is there mindfulness? What's being known? Is it possible to receive, maybe even to allow the stream of experiences coming and going. Is there awareness? What's being known right now? experiences simply arise and pass away moment to moment sand castles at water's edge It's the pause that remembers. So, noticing moments where there might be an absence of mindfulness, and then noticing the difference when there is a clear knowing again. I'll we'll ring the bell three times in just a moment. I want to ask you to see if, if you set a, uh, an intention in the beginning, check if it manifested. Perhaps connecting again with a a deep aspiration. So taking time to see if you're still in a comfortable bodily position. Maybe shift it a little bit. Feel invited to stretch the body. Maybe if that feels helpful. There's one stretch I really like. The end of sitting practice is to... um, Do a spinal twist, if you'd like, you could place your right hand on your left knee, your left hand behind you, or on the chair or floor, and just kind of, from the hips, turning the upper body to the left, maybe even also turning your left, your head all the way over to your left shoulder and pause. And release. And if you like, maybe do it one more time so the body got a little used to it. Not too far. Just finding your space that feels helpful. And also noticing the release. The letting go. And in this first session of our last day, I'd like to reflect on the power of wise intentions and how they can condition wise actions, kind actions. And already one thing, very concretely, that you could do in your practice, um, playing with this, is when you do a formal meditation session, to start with setting an intention, like I invited us into today. And sometimes, for me, it could be a, um, a wish coming from my metta and compassion practice. Like one that I sometimes in the beginning said is, may there be peace. And I'm just letting that go, and afterwards, I always gonna check if it manifested one way or another. And sometimes, actually, quite often, it does. I've also noticed that sometimes my intentions are quite specific in the beginning of a formal practice. You know, I might come in doing the practice, feeling a little fidgety, a little restless. And then sometimes I would say, May this mind be concentrated. And then just see what happens. Also, sometimes when I'm done, I'm notice oh it didn't manifest. I'm also just really noticing that you know this mind also does things, you know, it's also part of this uncontrollable aspect in nature. But even when I've noticed, like, oh, it didn't really manifest, it still sometimes can be helpful during the rest of the day or even a few days later sometimes or on retreat weeks later that you might go back and kind of say, hey, it did kind of unfold. Maybe not when I was kind of expecting it. <laughs> But it did kind of manifest one way or another. And someone asked a question like, you know, can you please discuss the difference between setting a goal and and getting caught in desire? And I think we've we've talked about it a little bit already, but it can be helpful to address it one more time. The difference between intentions and expectations. When there's an expectation, there's always, whether a subtle or not so subtle, wanting for it to have a specific um, outcome. It could even be like a a clinging to the outcome. And we set those types of goals with a lot of that expecting energy in it then suffering is already kind of embedded in it because it has this you know, this strong sense of this should happen to me this is mine right we make that really strong and it can manifest in all kinds of ways like in practice you know I've I've had moments where I really felt like deep concentration, especially on retreats at times. And then when I would um, when I would meditate back maybe in in less ideal situations, I would miss that, that deepening of concentration. So I would kind of set that in my in my intention practice. I kind of really felt like a little bit of disappointment. You know, that wasn't happening. And then we get a clear sign, like, oh, maybe this is an expectation. And this craving for becoming is active. And then that sense of mind or being entitled is active as well. We can also see these expectations very clearly in daily life. And again, they're not human failings. They're just happening. Like I'm already kind of a few hours ahead of people on the East Coast. It's the afternoon here. This morning, very small thing. I just noticed a lot of breadcrumbs on the couch. <laughs> Our seven-year-old had been eating there. And I could just kinda ha huh. like that sense of oh, I have asked you so many times. An expectation. Right? And can be we can really play with the difference. But the big difference is whether clinging is present or absent. And in a way, this this path of awakening could also be described as a path of non-clinging. I really love this teaching from Ajahn Chah who says, if you let go a little, you will have a little peace. If you let go a lot, you will have a lot of peace. If you let go completely, you will have complete peace. And the Buddha, in his teaching around wise intention, he kind of named three. But his suggestion was like, really good to spend time to reflect on it. And also to see how they can be a condition for wise actions. And the reason I thought I would bring it up right now in this retreat is because they can also be very helpful um, for the days after our retreat. so that we can really also maybe kind of take them into our lives. I'll just read to you how the Buddha describes them. It's very short he says, and what is right resolve or wise intention? Being resolved on renunciation. Being resolved on freedom from ill will. Being resolved on harmlessness. This is called wise resolve. I just want to kind of unpack them with you. I want to start with the first one. And I remember thinking, renunciation? As someone who is still learning English, I had no clue. It's not a word you hear a lot in the streets of New York, at least. So I looked it up. The act of renouncing is no longer supporting something. The example was giving the renunciation of the use of force. And I found another one in the dictionary that said, it's the formal announcement that someone no longer supports, believes in, or has a connection with something. So this is about letting go. This is about rejecting, even. Releasing. Abandoning. And these are pretty strong words that you find quite a bit in the Buddhist teachings. So just wanna pause for a moment and wanna investigate together, like how did they land? Abandoning. Renouncing. Releasing. Do they sound appealing? And this is where this teaching is uh, kind of a an, an action of against the stream of what's happening usually in our society. And I'd like to kind of bring in a passage from the Pali Canon, where the Buddha talks about um, how in the beginning, when he wasn't fully awakened that the thought of renunciation didn't let his heart leap up. And so here we have a situation where he's talking to a householder and his name is Tapusa. And I kind of like when the Buddha is talking to householders in the canon because it feels like he's, he's really talking also to us. And this householder kind of tells the Buddha, he says, you know, we as householders who indulge in sense pleasures, we delight in them and we enjoy them. For us, renunciation seems like a sheer drop-off. And then this householder says, but I've heard that in this doctrine, the hearts of even very young monks leap up at renunciation and they grow confident, steadfast, firm, seeing renunciation as peace. And then, he, and then he says to the Buddha, so right here is where this doctrine is contrary to the great mass of people. And then the Buddha starts talking that, he says that even I myself, before being fully awakened, I thought renunciation is good, seclusion is good, but my heart didn't leap up at renunciation. And then the Buddha said, he kind of took us into his thinking process, his investigation, and he said, the thought occurred to me, now what is the cause and reason why my heart does not leap up at renunciation? Why doesn't it grow confident, steadfast or firm, seeing renunciation as peace? The next thought that occurred to me, he said was, I haven't seen the drawback of sensual pleasures. I haven't pursued that theme. I haven't understood the reward of renunciation I haven't familiarized myself with it that's why my heart doesn't leap up at renunciation and then he continues and then he shares another thought he says then the thought occurred to me if having seen the drawback of central pleasures and I were to pursue that theme and if having understood the reward Of renunciation i were to familiarize myself with it then there's the possibility that my heart would leap up at renunciation so this is really interesting where you know in that reflection we start to see maybe it is possible and then he closes his teaching he says so at a later time having seen the drawback of sensual pleasures and I pursued that theme. Having understood also the reward of renunciation, I familiarized myself with it. And my heart leaped up at renunciation, grew confident, steadfast and firm, seeing it as peace. I think this is a really powerful insight in how the Buddha was practicing, also investigating, kind of taking action from that intention to explore renunciation. And so we can do the same thing. We can ask ourselves, have we familiarized ourselves with the drawbacks of craving and clinging? To sense pleasures. Can you, you know, check for yourself, have I been pursuing that theme? And do we understand or have the intention to understand more about the reward of renunciation, of letting go? We're just also pausing and check, like, what is the felt sense in the body when you let go, when there is renunciation? (laughs) Do you leap up? Does the mind see it as peace? So this teaching is inspiring us uh, to understand the reward of letting go. And so another very concrete thing you can do manifesting this intention is to ask yourself from time to time, what habit or expectation, pleasure perhaps, would you like to let go of, renounce? And this is a topic that I use quite a bit in my classes with young people when I teach meditation. And in the middle school, uh, I remember I quite often get the answer, nail biting. And another answer that I, I sometimes get and I so appreciate, these are like 12, 13 year olds. I wanna let go of my attitude I want to let go some I remember one specific student saying, I want to let go of my attitude that I my attitude that I give my mom and grandma. Because you know we can also explore, even maybe just you know, intellectually or just think about it first, like what would that feel like to let go of that habit, that craving. And then in this teaching I like this idea of pursuing this theme of renunciation, right? And this is where our mindfulness practice can come in. As we can really see, for example, when a strong craving arises, we can be with it. And actually also start to see that craving and clinging are bound to this universal law of coming and going. I really loved uh, Joseph's image of his, his little kind of Zen koan, like these experiences, sand castles at water's edge. so I found it really helpful to start my formal practices in this way. But I also think it's really helpful um, to apply this teaching into habits we have in daily living. Um, like we did with the middle schoolers. And, you know, one thing that I've recently kind of committed for myself to is... Um, This resolve to renunciate, kind of put it in those words, to consume news and social media less frequently. That was my New Year's resolve. Because especially during this pandemic, I have seen this tendency so strongly to constantly just grab the phone or look at screens for just small snippets of news, like how many new cases. And I was really noticing the effect of it, the drawbacks. It was affecting my mood, you know? And it was also just mostly painful news. You know, when I have my mom on the phone and we haven't spoken in a while, she always likes to say, oh, Bart, that's fine, you know? No news from you is good news. But if you turn those words around, good news is no news. And so I've also really kind of quite deliberately been uh, taking more time that I'm not using to consume so many like small snippets of news to really kind of see if I can nourish myself with narratives that are helpful right, taking more time to listen than read the Dharma. Another way I think that we can take action from this intention to let go is to be generous. I really like the Buddhist teachings on generosity. They're so precise and clear Like this one, he says, if beings knew, as I know, the results of giving and sharing, they would not eat without having given, nor would the stain of miserliness overcome their minds. Even if it were their last bite, their last mouthful, they would not eat without having shared if there was someone to receive their gift but because beings don't know as i know the results of giving and sharing they eat without having given and the stain of miserliness overcomes their minds and so here the buddha points so directly and clearly to the importance of understanding the results of giving and sharing maybe if you just pause for a moment and check like How does it feel when you are planning to give someone attention, calling them, when you're kind of planning to be generous? Or how does it feel when you are donating something or sending some financial support in that moment? Now, how does it feel to kind of sometimes go back and recollect your generosity? It feels freeing. That's my experience. It feels joyful. My heart leaps up. And one of the things that I've done also in kind of seeking out more nourishing and positive things that are happening in the world is just seeing the courage and kindness of so many people in the midst of this pandemic. And a while ago, our, uh, our, our Lou, our seven-year-old, he asked me, Daddy, do you think that um, superheroes really exist? And then he said, shall we make a list? I said, okay. And this was his list, and I was quite surprised. He said, superheroes are medical workers, bus drivers, mama, <laughs> Santa Claus, crossing guards, and astronauts who pee in space. (laughs) And then we reflected on what connects these people. They give, they share, and they help. And so when we're generous, what do we renounce? It's the stain, as the Buddha said, of miserliness or stinginess or holding back. And... It hurts when we're when that's happening. One place where I still uh, practice with this when it's difficult for me is on the New York City trains. I'm just being exposed to so much suffering and, um. I have this practice of always making sure I have cash and some change with me to help people who are homeless. But sometimes there's just days, there's so many people asking. And I kind of see sometimes this mind kind of moving away. And then when when I see people then just passing by and and my only sometimes generosity, active generosity is just acknowledging them but saying no. There's a disconnect. And of course there's a balance. We just can't, you know, endlessly just be helping because this is it's huge, this, this problem of homelessness in New York City. But it, it's interesting to see when we close again. And then maybe kind of in that moment, reflecting How can I, you know, feed this intention again, even in the midst of this? And to also really pause and unpack that experience when we're closed off. Is that sense of self present then? This peripherulating tendency of mind, or maybe also becoming very self-conscious, I am. I think the reason it feels this so disconnecting because when we are generous, you know, it supports, it gives life, it connects. This is really my favorite teaching that I'm gonna share with you about how the Buddha describes us as lay people accomplished in generosity. He says, a family person, that's how he addresses us, dwells at home with a mind devoid of the stain of stinginess, freely generous, open-handed, delighting in relinquishment, one devoted to charity Delighting and giving and sharing. For some reason, every time I I read this, I just, I smile. There's a delight in the sharing, in the letting go. And this image of open hands, it's giving such a visceral feel. One thing that I want to mention is as someone from the Netherlands who's lived now in New York for about 12 years, um, I've really seen so much generous activity from people in America and kindness. And there's one person in the kind of in the realm of like, uh, like a story I really want to really kind of lifts me up. And one man I want to mention is Gilbert Reed. Because this man made it possible for us to be in New York. And we met Gilbert through a mutual friend. And Gilbert's been living in the Bronx for a really long time. Because as a young black man from South Carolina, he moved to New York City in the 60s. He always says the year Otis Redding died. And we became friends. And he said, you know, my, my home is your home. You can always come. And so even after we met him, we sometimes were able to stay with him in New York as tourists. He also came with us and stayed with us in the Netherlands. We became really good friends. But I was amazed by his generosity when he found out that Chantal and I had this aspiration to live in New York for a while. Without hesitation, he says that you can start in my place right living with john and wayne because he had other people in his apartment too we said okay is that okay and he said yeah just use my place as a stepping stone to find your own and then after a few months we asked him gil would it be possible to stay a little longer and without blinking again he said of course you can stay as long as you like and just to be in the receiving end of generosity, it's also so powerful. He shared his pots and pans, sharing how to cook grits biscuits, fried fish. And he also shared his experiences, what it's like to live in New York City from a black man's perspective. And he also shared how if you read the history of the united states please know that this is not the history of my people or the indigenous people so i really was able to be on the receiving end of so much generosity so he kind of became our new york father and then when lou was born and he was uncle gil i just really want to share the story because it it's really, he really means a lot to me. And he's not in a good place right now. He has lung emphysema. And so just bringing his name out to you all right now, it means a lot to me. Generosity is like this never-ending loop of energy that gives and receives again and again. And so the Last thing I'll say about this first resolve of renouncing is that the Buddha also very specifically gave us a meditation instruction about generosity. He said, at any time when a disciple, and he's talking to us, is recollecting generosity, their mind is not overcome with greed, aversion, or with delusion. And so if we really look ultimately at the Buddha's teaching, is the renouncing, the rejecting, the letting go or the abandoning of these three tendencies. The second resolve the Buddha suggested to really take to heart is the freedom from ill will. And this is an interesting way, I think, of describing it. You know, just like that practice of, in the hindrances, you might remember, you could also sometimes name the absence of doubt is like this. Here he's kind of saying the, you know, the freedom from the absence, you know, that comes when we're not angry. So what is that experience for you like, if you just pause for a moment, to be free from ill will, free from judgments, free from anger, free from frustration? What's coming to my mind is being open, receptive, and being in touch with kindness. And so another way of looking at this in wise intention is to be resolved on kindness. And this is what you know we've been invited into so beautifully by Roxanne when we were doing the loving-kindness practice. So here already, we have this very concrete application of this resolve. We wanna train freedom from ill will. We have this practice of cultivating compassion, cultivating kindness, right? I also love that the Buddha called loving kindness the greatest protection. But also in our mindfulness practice. Every time when, you know, when we could say, is there awareness? What's being known? And then this can I meet it? Can I receive or allow? Just that movement, even if you cannot. It's kind of, again, taking this this second intention of kindness, freedom from ill will, into practice. I think this resolve of kindness brings connection, just like generosity. And a few days ago, here in the trailer park in the Netherlands, where I am, the campground, I was doing walking practice, and all of a sudden, someone I didn't know, uh, a woman, was pushing a carriage, was passing by, and we only—I said hello, and she said hello, and we continued walking. But I really felt after that hello, and that smile we changed, the sense of really feeling warm. I remember I I stopped, and just this thought came to mind, like, whatever I do to another, I do to myself. Whatever we do to ourselves, we do to another. Also kind of, as I'm saying that, recalling what Roxanne said last night, You know, when she was bringing in Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s wisdom, saying that whatever affects one um, directly affects everybody indirectly. So when we're kind, there's a sense of connection. And so we can, I think, also use this intention of kindness or to be free from ill will when we're having a hard time. I remember once being on retreat at at IMS actually, and I was having a lot of anger and judgment. And something inside of me told me when there was time for walking, let's go into the forest, let's connect with nature. And at that time, the staff at IMS said, because it was winter, you can take some birth feet with you. Sometimes chickadees will come. And I didn't have much more to do anyway. So I took some birth feet in my mittens. It was really cold. Walked a little bit into the forest and just stood there like this. Just noticing the anger. Just trying to kind of Really notice also how I was relating to it. I was just doing my practice. It wasn't easy. But then all of a sudden, the flock of chickadees and mindfulness was external. And they are so curious. And one came down, one branch, then another branch, came closer. And I noticed that, you know, this sense of wonder was all of a sudden present. You know, there's totally no more ill will in that moment. It's vanished. And then the chickadee actually, one, landed on my hand. At the same time, there was some snow coming down. It took one uh, seed, ate it, and then, really, this happened. A snowflake fell on its eyelashes, and it winked at me, and then it flew off. I think sometimes when we, especially when there is a lot of aversion, you know, finding this space of being back in nature or sometimes being open to find more space when we're mindful, it makes us, again, more connected to other things and wonder. I love this about Yonge Minyo Rinpoche, the Tibetan teacher and master of several lineages in Tibetan Buddhism, he calls appreciation also kind of as an act of this resolve, as the key to this journey. And he says, it's not positive thinking. Appreciation is taking the time to notice what's already here, what we have right now in this very moment. And this capacity gives us the inner strength to be with our suffering in a skillful way and stay connected to each other as we do. When we make appreciation the foundation of our practice, every moment is filled with possibility. And this could just be another way of taking this resolve on freedom from ill will into practice. Appreciation. And the third and the last resolve or wise intention that the Buddha was teaching. So there's the resolve on renunciation and letting go, the intention to be free from ill will. The last one is the resolve on harmlessness. And this is about learning, excuse me, and uncovering areas which we maybe don't know much about. I think this is about noticing also what's the impact of our actions. And so this third resolve, the Buddha kind of talked about it in very direct ways because he's kind of unpacking in this next teaching, the conditions for the planning of harm. He says, when a person is impassioned with lust, depraved through hatred, bewildered through delusion, overwhelmed and infatuated by illusion, then they plan for their harm, for the harm of others, and for the harm of both. And they experience in their mind suffering and grief. And so this third resolve is about the release, you could say, the abandoning of greed, hatred, and delusion. Just like what's you know, being renounced in that first resolve. So they're connected. And this teaching very specifically is showing so clearly that when we're practicing, we're not just practicing for ourselves. We're also practicing for the benefit of others and both ourselves and others. And when I heard Roxanne speak last night about, and I really resonated with it, this experience that we, we sometimes on silent retreats really spend a lot of time, you know, quite secluded. And then yet, we still really kind of learn so much of being in connection with the world and with others. And so this last resolve on harmlessness, I think it also invites us to really look at our actions in the world, our impact. And this requires not just a mindfulness that is internally oriented. I think it also acquires to practice being mindful and present externally, and both internal and external. And I had a really big learning moment um, with this particular resolve, because I was seeing how it's also possible to hide behind intentions. Behind good intentions. And so when I came to the United States in 28, after a while, I um, had the opportunity to start teaching young people. And um, I had to learn quite a bit of English, but I also had to learn what you could call the um, youth culture English. You know, because in the beginning, when I was co-teaching classes, I might hear something like, wow, what you just did. Mindfulness is wavy. And I had to ask them, you know, what does that even mean? Is that a compliment? Or, Oh, that's good. Wavy is good. And so I got a hang of getting to know also that type of language. And I started to use it a little bit, you know, and sometimes explaining elements of the teachings. And I was coming from this idea that is maybe quite conditioned from being Dutch where um, I was kind of brought up with this idea like no one else speaks your language, Bart, in, the, in Europe or wherever you go, almost nowhere. Learn at least to say thank you in the language you're going or, and how are you as a sign of respect. So that's where I was coming from. I kind of really wanted to let people know, hey, I'm, I understand a little bit of your language, and I speak it. But then I got some feedback from professionals I was working with. And for them, it didn't land so well. And they said, well, I actually feel a little bit harmed by your actions. Because what they saw as someone in a privileged social location was being able to use appropriate appropriate." this language from a a group of people in a different social location with a lot of oppression. You know, in my classes, I'm teaching a lot of kids, you know, kids of color, black and brown youth. And it really kind of hit me. And at first that was actually quite hard to hear because what I remember was I wanted to say but that's not my intention. And I paused and then noticed that what a gift that's been offered that I get back from people, the impact of my actions. That I receive that honest feedback. And so this, this third resolve It's really about learning and uncovering areas which we might not have much knowledge about yet in the world, but our behaviors can impact others. And so a concrete application of this third resolve is to really see the big difference between intention of our actions and then how they land. Can we be open and learn from that as well? Because I've, as I've mentioned, I've received so much generosity um, from dear friends and people in America. that I also wanna give back to that society and also now here in the Netherlands and so, for me, one concrete resolve from being harmless is that I want to keep learning about my role in society and my actions in it. Because it's my personal aspiration to not unconsciously contribute to an unjust society, you know, an unjust system of power, privilege, and oppression. And so one way I want to do is I want to actively give back by reflecting on these things, on my social location, taking part in discussions and learning, keep learning. Because quite long I've been sometimes hiding in discussions about racism, kind of hiding in my privileged uh, comfort zone, if you will, that comes with you know this this white cisgender male body that's able-bodied. And so that, you know, you could call it the order of the day isn't directly affecting me as much as people in other social locations who are facing oppression every day. So I think this This last resolve is also really allowing us to see like, how are we in society? And so this is also, when we are practicing this, it's inviting us to be vulnerable and to learn from blind spots that we might have. And I recently even discovered when I used the word blind spot, that someone just you know, pointed at me and said, that word, you really kind of also reflected on what the impact would be if you were to teach a group of people who can't see. And I said, no, I didn't. Because that's not my lived experience. Oh, this is helpful, helpful feedback. Maybe instead of saying lines, spot, we could say, you know, areas that we don't have much understanding about yet or that we don't have a felt sense of a first-hand experience of. So this last resolve on harmlessness. not only just applies to really being kind to ourselves, but also really keeping, staying open. How is what we're doing landing? And so I just wanna pause now. And I really hope that these three resolves can be an inspiration for you both in your formal meditation practice and in also how you, you know, your aspirations in the world. And that you can start with them at any moment. I love this from Ralph Waldo Emerson. He says, you cannot do a kindness too soon because you never know how soon it'll be too late. Hmm. As I'm coming to the end, I just want to invite you into just pausing for a moment, knowing that soon you might have some time for self-directed practice. everything that we do, say, and think, you know, is preceded by intention. So we really, in your next practice period, also connect with this energy that propels us to do, say, or think something. Or maybe really take time to reflect on what would be my resolve for the rest of the day. for the rest of the week or for the rest of this life, and may it guide you, and may it manifest, <laughs> may your wise intentions manifest, hmm, so um, This is my last session with you on this retreat. Just wanna bow deeply to you all for your practice, your diligence, your kindness. I also wanna take a moment to really appreciate my colleagues, appreciating Sabra appreciating Roxanne, appreciating Joseph, and also appreciating all the staff from IMS who are holding this